1: Welcome, everybody, to Mind Rolling Podcast. Raghu Mark is here with David Silver. And yeah, we... hello. Hello. David's uh, just recovering some f- horrible, virulent flu-type bug. And uh, so, you know, we've been a few days late in getting our uh,
2: podcast out to you. You okay, though? No? Yeah, I'm feeling a lot better. It's, it was kind of a weird one because there were no manifestations except feeling horrible. I that, know. Was the, that was the symptom.
1: I was worried because that when there's no manifest didn't someone tell you when there's no manifestations and you feel that bad that you have weeks to live or something?
2: Well, it's already been weeks, and I've had this. Oh, so, okay. so you're probably I'm okay. talking to a someone in the Bardo uh, or me, but no i I'm very grateful for disappearing someone. um A lot of people have this, apparently, you know people walking, you'll notice them walking around. <laughs> Looking horrible, but not sneezing or coughing, just feeling it anyway. Um, okay.
1: All right. Well, he's good. I'm good. And here we are. And, um, we, I've decided, Dave, we, we need to enhance our Amazon uh, message. And I thought, uh, you know, aside from telling everybody, please. And aside from you yelling at everybody, although that seems to be very effective, uh, But aside from that, um, you know, of course, we need you to take our Amazon link and, uh, you know, uh, bookmark it. Bookmark, bookmark. That's what we need you to do. And then, of course, a couple of people come back and say, I bookmarked it. But then I bookmarked a couple of people because I listen to more than your podcast. And so, uh, you know, I say, "Okay, so then be equal and fair. And uh, split it all up. I understand that. Um, and uh, but we're going to further enhance this by telling you that we have some rec- We're going to have weekly recommendations, Dave. And and Dave has one because he got so sick and almost died that somebody actually told him about a wonderful um, immune booster. Uh, so uh, that you can get on Amazon. What yeah, is
2: it? It, it's called beta glucan. And our associate Nathan, who works with us, uh, recommended this to me. And um, I think he likes me, so he wasn't trying to make it worse. <laughs> I haven't received it yet, but I will in the next day or so. Um, it's a an immune booster, but something you you know you sort of have as an ongoing thing, not just when you're ill. And um, uh, to say I nearly died is a slight hyperbole, is it? but you know what it's like when you get these viruses. You, you sort of can't motivate to do anything, and I actually couldn't speak the English language. I was speaking a kind of Mandarin for a while. <laughs> uh, well, I mean,
1: we do trust Nathan. Uh, Nathan... <laughs> Uh, is an expert. Uh, he, he really uh, scours the net for finding uh, immune boosters. and you know, So Nathan is our resident expert. I also, though, know about something else, by the way. I should have told you. The reishi mushroom is fantastic. It's a Chinese medicine thing, and it's a fantastic immune booster. Uh, so reishi mushroom. Um, and I'm going to consult with my wife, Dr. Saraswati, well, because is it she, the mushroom
2: do you actually cook, or is it in a pill?
1: No, it's a pill. Because I don't like mushrooms. I know this isn't something that's not an epicurean thing here. You you don't eat it; you just take it, okay? Right. And you you need it. So, and I'm as I said, I'm going to consult my wife because she's got a a host of knowledge about Chinese uh, medicine and, and herbs that we can well, recommend. Are
2: you consult her now, or, I mean, are you, you going to remember that you said you were going to consult
1: her yeah. next? And, Yes,
2: I am. It's not to happen.
1: And by the way, for people who can't, you know, uh, now um, many of you out there.
2: mushrooms.
1: Yeah, right. There's other kinds of mushrooms, um, which everybody is taking out there. That's good. You can't get them on Amazon. That's the only thing. Um, But there is, uh, for people who are going through and thinking they might have some issues around memory, okay, which people have as they age. I don't think we have a lot of listeners anywhere near our age, Dave. But I'm going to just recommend this. It's called SAMI S-A-M small e, and I tried and that it, once. Yeah, it's good for people that are, you know, need their nerves equalized. But it's also they've proven it to be great uh, for the onset uh, for the prevention of the onset of uh, dementia. So, Sammy, you get that on Amazon too. This is a whole thing now. You can have a whole pharmaceutical cabinet um, from us um, recommendations. But I want to recommend something else. Music, okay? Because there's a couple of great records that have just come out, and uh, one of them is from Robert Plant. Now, I have just I heard one track on on the uh, the single on on YouTube. Um, and, and, uh, just, and I'm, so I'm not very familiar with it, so you, you got to check it out yourself, uh, and, uh, but Robert Plant uh, has been making some fabulous records recently, and, uh, someone else is Leonard Cohn. Go up and get his album, Leonard Cohen, uh, Leonard, uh, and it's Leonard's birthday. Uh, yesterday, did you tell me, he was 80 years old?
2: Yes, yes. He's older than us. Yeah. I like like him for that very reason. Way older.
1: But no, Leonard's the the shit. I mean, Leonard is it as far as I'm concerned. Um, And Leonard said uh, he's going to start smoking again because he's turned 80. And he's like, who cares? I actually saw, Dave, an article in the New York Times about, yeah. And they were saying, Leonard's saying he's going to start smoking at 80. And, And they were saying like, yeah, what is this bullshit of trying to stay alive? Once you reach a certain point, why bother? Start having fun. Enjoy yourself. Like Leonard, smoke. What's the big deal? It was great. I think that uh, there's a lot uh, to that. The huh? a, for
2: me is as a smoker, I, I'm no longer. But uh, The last time I had a cigarette... It was it was almost an act of self destruction. I felt so horrible <laughs> after it, you know. Because once you stop those things and you start yeah, these yeah. toxic things again, they don't affect you in the same way. They make you feel very nauseous. Yeah. So yes. Uh, maybe you shouldn't start smoking. <laughs> All but. right,
1: don't start. So uh, Leonard, you know, he was probably lying anyhow. Um, and uh, going further,
2: I uh, want you to recommend a book. Uh, yeah. Um, well, actually, uh, we're going to talk about this today. Uh, we started last podcast, and we got some good response, apart from, from each other. And um, it's about, you know, the eight verses on uh, thought transformation, uh, which Raghur dug up from somewhere else. But there is actually a book with a slightly different translation, but it's equally good. And it's called The Dalai Lama's Book of Transformation. There you go, simple, right? It's um, available on Amazon, and it's it's by Thorson, and that's the publisher Thorsons, T-H-O-R-S-O-N-S, uh, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. There aren't that many left on Amazon, I find. Um, you, just need, you, just need his whole, you just need Dalai Lama and the title, though. Yeah, and the title is The Book of Transformation. It's a small book, somewhat smaller than a CD, if you remember what CDs are like. And um, it's the kind of thing you can put in your pocket like you used to be able to with iPhones before the 6+. plus. You know, which if you want to hold in your hand, I find you have to be Michael (laughs) Strahan with like gigantic hands. But we've come to that. Anyway, it's a small book and we recommend it because it's very inexpensive and it's really packed with information. Um, Which we're going to share a little bit
1: more of because we were so thrilled with it and we didn't uh, get to all of it last week. But here in uh, this is our infomercial, Dave. This is really an infomercial, right? We're recommending all of these different things that you can purchase on Amazon, and you do it through uh, bookmarking mindrollingpodcast.com. Go to our mindrollingpodcast.com site, and uh, you will uh, bookmark, and then you will be able to, whatever it is you want, we will get a small um, a very small portion, but, uh, if enough people do it, it is a way for us mind rollers here to survive and continue to do this. You can also send a donation. You can also buy our wonderful mind rolling t-shirts. You can also get a trial at, uh, audible.com uh, trial, go up there and, uh, go through our portal there. So I think, that's a pretty good info. I think if we do this every week with recommendations, then it'll make a difference. It yeah. makes it. Di- it's going to make a difference, right? Well, and, Audible, and you
2: don't have to yell at anybody anymore. No, which is Audible. A- we're not getting too many people going for that, which you know is all right. But uh, it is worth it if you drive, and uh, it's their their inventory is vast with you know everything from Sharon Salzberg to Billy Crystal, and um, you know actually the Billy Crystal one, which I heard a bit of, is very funny. He does it himself. It's always better, I think, when they do it, do it themselves. But, you know, you can get Polishing the Mirror. Yeah, uh, Polishing the Mirror. Our friend Rameshwar Das, who's yeah. the
1: co-author with Ram Das on that book, which is a, a really a manual of how to be here now, uh, it, that's up there, and that just went up there a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, yes, let's uh, please uh, take a shot with Audible.
2: Audibleize.
1: Now, uh, <laughs> we... we We had a segment that, uh, I wouldn't say we've discontinued, but we've, uh, you know, we've taken another look at it, and it was like, you know, news from the end of the world. And um, after we started gathering some of this stuff, like uh, a friend of ours, uh, uh, or another co-worker, Rachel, Rachel, uh, she, uh, she had us find these horrible stories she found and sent to us, uh, about uh, malpractice uh, by uh, physicians charging these enormous amounts of money and practically killing people. It was so depressing that we couldn't even think of doing it. And I thought, you know, we want to be uplifting and so on and so forth. So I found, so I have a new segment to, to offer today, and that is news from the beginning of the world, meaning ah. just good news. That's all. I mean, I found something good, which is rare. Can I read it to you? I haven't even, I think I told you, but I haven't. No, I have no idea. This is from BBC News. Okay, would you say then
2: that they don't print bullshit, right, BBC? Uh, Generally not, no, no. In fact, as you know, recently when His Holiness the Dalai Lama was interviewed about watching movies and things, he said he no longer watched movies or television, but he did listen to BBC News. So that's a recommendation, if you like.
1: This is BBC News India. So it colors it a little bit. <laughs> I don't. Okay. So uh, the the headline here is. is, oh, so I, I got to give a little background. India has started creating identity cards for people because uh, many. Uh, this is in order to serve the the um, poorer segment of the population, of which you know we're talking of billion two people. And that's uh, probably two thirds of that, po- or more, three quarters lives under you know poverty line, and all that. So uh, they're coming up with uh, if they can create identity cards because people they don't have driver's license or whatever, um, then they'll be able to better uh, serve people in that they'll uh, you know they'll know uh, how to get um, resources to them and so on and so forth. Okay, so uh, India probes identity card situation okay authorities in so the the card um this this particular card that they're investigating it says authorities in India are investigating how Hanuman the monkey god has been issued a biometric identity card okay this is you know it's like got 3d thing. this is some schlepper there who loves hanwan and created an identity card this is a government issue biometric identity card so this is not you know this is the real thing the card photo features the character from the hindu epic ramayana wearing gold and ju- and pearl jewelry and a crown it emerged when a postman attempted to deliver the card okay the government issued the card sent it out for delivery, okay, but could not find a Hanuman at the address, who I don't know what address it was. <laughs> when he looked at the photograph, he realized it was probably a prank. It's not clear who, this, who th- the iris scan and fingerprints on the card belong to, okay? Iris scan. The card lists Hanuman as Pawandi's son. The god was known as son of Pawan in Hindu mythology, which is the, the wind god. And lists a mobile phone number and an address in the western state of Rajasthan. Okay, Um, Which is striking me that I um, recently came upon um, knowledge of a, a siddha that's emerged in India. Meaning, you know, we've talked about gurus and saints and siddhas all the time on this podcast. And how, you know, these terms are bandied about. But this the the siddha is kind of the term we're 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 using for the for the real deal so happens to live in the western state of Rajasthan, okay? That's, who knows? Hanuman is generally depicted with a human body, a red monkey face, and a tail. There are temples dedicated to Hanuman all over the country. So the poster the postman, Hira Lal Saini, who was given the card for delivery returned it to the post office after he failed to find Pavanaji's son, Hanuman. And the phone number listed on the card did not connect, an official in Rajasthan's postal department told BBC Hindi. The card will now be returned to the Bangalore Office of Unique Identification Authority of India. Okay? So Hanuman has an identity card. Could that mean that he's going to, you know, maybe he's going to manifest uh you know that monkey body uh so that more people um you know well they should probably check sri lanka but here's what these it escaped in there yeah but then these nincompoops the local center and the operator who issued the car will be identified and punished deputy <laughs> De- De- director general of uh, of of this of these people of, of the uh, what do they call um <laughs> the I- Unique Identification Authority of India are going to punish whoever created this thing. There's a deliberate mischief on the part of the operator. He will be removed permanently, <laughs> and the enrollment agency will be penalized. The process of identifying the operator in the agency is on. It will not take time for us to identify, but I must also point out that such instances are few, given the vast number of cards we process. So now they're having a whole uh, fraudulent identity scheme
2: thing around Hanuman. Oh, uh, now that they only in uh, India, you can imagine that other Indian people of mischief will start appearing, as you know, Yamantaka <laughs> yes. and uh, you know various deities.
1: Yeah, I love that. I don't know. I don't, Maybe I think it's all real. You know, um, moving forward and on from our the good news.
2: Yeah, and for those of you that criticize, it's so much for bringing what they call tabloid you know horror shows to we you see we've reformed yeah. we listen yeah we're we're good now and this was all Raghu's idea in any case okay you
1: found that material that we got busted for about the you know the republican gay thing wasn't it
2: uh, yeah there were a few of them but we shouldn't repeat them no, because we'll okay. get right, busted right.
1: again yeah um Okay, so uh, moving on to more, um, shall we say, transformational matters, uh, to His Holiness. Um, so this here's a point that he brings up about vigilance. Well, shouldn't we d- describe this a little better first? Because okay, we did well, do, you do we, we sorry, did one I...
2: podcast just quickly, right. and it is the eight. Uh, what is it called, Raga? The eight transformational verses about changing your thought. Comment, it's called Just, commentary,
1: exactly. commentary on the Eight Verses of Thought Transformation. And I. in our last podcast, uh, a week ago or so, uh, we went through some of this commentary on—and uh, the podcast is called Thought Transformation. And um, so th- what we've been looking at is trying to see how, how you know, sometimes uh, His Holiness and lamas in general can— um elucidate on subjects and and it's very um can be esoteric or, I don't know if that's the right word it can be sometimes tough to figure out how does this apply to my daily life and so that's what we're trying to bring a little light uh if we may into uh, how we can apply so this this particular uh um Part of the commentaries about vigilance. The the moment of dis, a delusion appears in my mind, endangering myself and others, I shall confront and avert it without delay. So that's that. You know, he's comment commenting on this from the scriptures, and he, his comment is: if we investigate our minds at times when we are very selfish and preoccupied with ourselves to the exclusion of others we shall find that the disturbing negative minds are the root of this behavior. Since they greatly disturb our minds, the moment we notice that we are coming under their influence, we should apply some antidote to them. The general opponent to all the disturbing negative minds is meditation on emptiness, but there are also antidotes to specific ones that we as beginners can apply. Thus, for attachment, we meditate on ugliness. Well, that's interesting. For anger, on love. For closed-minded ignorance, on dependent arising. For many disturbing thoughts, on on the... Oh, sorry, but my uh, paper's got screwy here on the on the breath and energy wins, yeah, okay, well, breath is very i mean that is uh in terms of you know people ask, and you can comment on this a little bit, Dave, but they ask about what actual um processes can you uh engage in to to really stop the moment of negativity and and I have found in um, in my own day to day life that just stopping with breath, meaning, so the vigilance is you understand that this is happening to you, okay, that you are subject to, um, you know, selfish, you're preoccupied with yourself, you're excluding others, and you you know, and you realize that this disturbing negative thoughts that, that are at the root of it. So the vigilance is to stop in the moment, just stop your world, and just sit somewhere, wherever, wherever you can be in any moment. I mean, even if you're in, a, in, a, in an office complex, you can even go in the bathroom and go in a stall, right, where you can have some aloneness or go just step outside or whatever it is and just focus on, on uh, like, having a nose in your chest and you're breathing into that area. And you take a few breaths and you'll be amazed at how quickly that the the negative thoughts and emotions uh just curtail. So I think that that is uh, in terms of something that is highly effective day to day um the breath uh and and this is what uh, you know he's talking about and as he says for many disturbing thoughts is that your experience?
2: Uh yeah, it is. I was surprised that it worked actually. Um because the you know the sort of resilience of these disturbing emotions is quite amazing they're they're very powerful and if you get fixed on one uh particularly involving another human being you know um it can become quite enjoyable in a perverse kind of way now that's that's ha, ha, what you have to sort of be vigilant about i suppose you know if there's someone who's annoyed you and you start having a lot of thoughts about it um and and you don't stop it they grow like a fungus it seems uh, because for some perverse reason, the mind does this. And uh, the breath uh, will help. And he also says in this segment, uh, Ragu, he says, meditate on ugliness when talking about attachment. And I think yeah. that we have to expand that a little bit. It sounds a little pretentious to say we're going to ex- expand or expound upon something that he said. But my take on that was that um, he was talking about, and I've heard this from other lamas, about the ugliness if you get too, you know, sort of vain or too wrapped up in someone else's physical beauty and even worse, being judgmental about people who may not be in your way, in, to your perception, beautiful. He says, well, you, you know, this meditating about ugliness is not meditating about ugly people. It's meditating on all of us who, you know, eat, digest, shit, spit, etc., etc. et cetera. Et cetera uh, that we're made of all kinds of objectionable uh, fluids and, and stuff within our body, and that if we're just truthful about it, that's where we are. I mean, Jack Cornfield, our friend um, in, a, a, in a retreat last year, talked about well, how weird it is how we exist. We take vegetable matter or even animal matter, drop it in a hole in our face, yes. it goes down, turns into shit, and we pop it out the other end. How weird is that? I think what Jack was kind of alluding to in a way was, uh, let's not get too um, preoccupied with the Heidi Klums of this world. Not that I dislike Heidi Klum, but with the beautiful supermodels and the marvelous, you know, with the, the Bradley Coopers and everything, and then think that we're just pieces of crap. The fact is we're all human, and if we meditate upon the processes that our bodies go through, uh, they're not what you would call aesthetically beautiful. Uh, should that leave you depressed? No. What it should do is give you an exact um uh, perception i suppose of how of, of equalization that whether we look this way or that way whether 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 we're the prime minister or whether we're a, a, a street sweeper we are all in fact identical in the respect of how it works right so if we meditate on that we, we're less likely to be deluded about, for instance, superiority, because in an earlier part of this same commentary, he talks about you should think of yourself as the lowest rather than the highest, which is just mm-hmm. so, it's such wonderful Buddhist wisdom. Because in this country of exceptionalism, which I've gone into before, we tend to um, obsess about how superior we are. We have running toilets. We have great airplanes. We have wonderful Netflix. And look what they have in Afghanistan. Nothing. Well, they've got exactly what we have really, don't they? They have bodies, they eat, they urinate. They want to be happy. They want to be happy. Thank you for for finishing my statement with that. (laughs) Yep, yep. So, I mean, this is deep wisdom, really, even though it might not seem so. Um, He's talking about fighting obsession, uh, you know, and and understanding that uh, we're all after the same thing. Hmm.
1: Can I admit something here? I hate oh to please do this. i like that yeah. yeah yeah well i said how effective i th- i thought that uh using the breath to turn around negative uh, thoughts and emotions uh has been effective um something i should do more but i can relate with it as a day-to-day uh path now when he talks about um attachment um and meditating on ugliness to overcome attachment, uh, he he. There's one one thing he suggests. He says, um, like, take your skin. If a piece of it comes off and you put it on your shelf for a few days, it becomes really repulsive. So, everybody out there, I think we all need to take a piece of our skin. I don't know if you have to. You know, we we don't want people cutting each other or uh, cutting into, uh, you know, or at any level, but I don't know, at some point, skin does fall off. So if you find some skin that falls off, I want, we want you to put it on your shelf, okay? Uh, and it becomes repulsive. Well, we're going to see. This is the nature of, of, of uh, skin. All parts of the body are the same. There's no beauty in a piece of human flesh. When you see blood, you might feel afraid, Not attached. Even a beautiful face, if it gets scratched, there's nothing nice about it. Wash off the paint, there's nothing left. Ugliness is the nature of the human body. Human bones, the skeleton, are also repulsive. A skull and cross bones has a very negative connotation. So you can have all of this, but I have never in my life walked down the street or seen a picture in a magazine, or whatever, whatever the heck it is, a beautiful woman, and 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 and, um, and then had the vigilance, because we're talking about vigilance, to stop that world, that mind, that attachment, by virtue of of seeing the repulsiveness of the the phlegm and the putrid mix of. And fat and excrement. It just hasn't happened for me, Dave. Well, but I think you, I, same- I understand you might have been able to.
2: No, um, I, I back- would <laughs> argue with that because I think that the compensation we, we do to, to stay sane is that we tend to see, you know, we see things as beautiful uh, to increase our sense of joy and gratitude. So it's, it's complex, this. Because, I mean, you, you're saying that, and I, I totally understand what you're saying. I feel the same way. Um, you know, or even a, 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 an incredibly beautiful painting or something. You know, there, there are aesthetics, there are things that we, for some reason, in our system, in our DNA, we find beautiful and make us happy. I think it's more like saying, if we become over-attached to it, rather than the sort of general quotidian perceptions that we have, uh, it wouldn't be cool if you walk down the street in Asheville or Nashville or anyville, and, and so everybody is repulsive. It's more like, because, you know, that, that is not the way we're wired, is it? But it, I think, isn't he saying, and aren't, aren't all of these deeper, and the Zogchen masters particularly, saying that it is when we become obsessed mentally and emotionally with one thing, not another, this, not that, mm. you know, that, that, that there are beautiful people, there are ugly people. And I mean, I'm sure somebody listening could say, well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, you know, my uncle Arnie is 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 really awful. I mean, he weighs two hundred and ninety pounds. He's a big blubber, and he, he just swears and drinks, you know, ale all the time. And he, I, you know, you have an and, uncle Arnie? No, well, you know, I just I just off the top of my head. But you know, um, and and it's weird because life is full of these by binary um, realizations. On the one hand, we're beautiful creatures of God, children of the divine universe, and on the other hand, we are shitters, pukers, and fuckers. <laughs> Both at the same time. <laughs> yes. All right, well, here here's a way that His
1: Holiness cuts through. Okay. Please, he please. explains, okay, so the, the kind of uh, attachment, you know, we're in love, attachment, all of that, which he has uh, gone through and described here. Um, here's the other kind of love. And how he, he equates this, he says the other kind of love or kindness. How about that? That's That takes love into a different kind of a realm. It's not based on the reasoning that such and such a person is beautiful. Therefore, I shall show respect and kindness. The basis for pure love is this is a living being that wants happiness does not want suffering, and has the right to be happy. Therefore, I should feel love and compassion. This kind of love is entirely different from the first, which is based on ignorance and therefore totally unsound. The reasons for loving-kindness are sound, with the love that is simply attachment, the slightest change in the object, such as a tiny change of attitude, immediately causes you to change. That's the whole thing of the business of relationships. If you love me, great. If you change at all and that love goes, you know, I'm not going to love you. There's no way. You know, this is, this is the absolute essence of what the, the, the business of relationship. Um, this is because your emotion is based on something very superficial. Take, for example, a new marriage. Often after a few weeks, months, or years, the couples become enemies and finish up getting divorced. They married deeply in love. Nobody chooses to marry with hatred. But after a short time, everything changed. Why? Because of the superficial basis of the relationship. A small change in one person causes a complete change of attitude in the other. I mean, he should be a marriage counselor here. I mean, this is really
2: the essence of, of how we get stuck, especially. Well, I mean, doesn't that make a case for patience? Because after all, we fall in love with who we fall in love with. I mean, uh, you know, you can't just go, okay, well, I'm going to fall in love with someone who repulses me, and, and in the immediate sense. Um, so wouldn't it make sense to say, okay, I'll still fall in love with the person that attracts me, but instead of assuming that that is the grand love and not the lower love or the lust love, I'll spend a year with this person and find out if I care for her or him the same after a year and no matter what. Um, I've always felt that, you know, I mean, we get married usually in our 20s, not always of course. And, you know, what are the reasons we get married? We think we've got it down. You know, we've just escaped from our dreadful parents. There we are in the world. (laughs) And, um, you know, there we are and we meet this beautiful woman or man and we go, wow, this is it. I can now spend time with this person forever. And then, as he says, sometimes after a few years or even less, the doubts come in and, and, and you think, my God, this isn't the person I thought it was. I thought she was or he was. And there's no getting away from that. Of course, in, in some countries and cultures still, there are arranged marriages. And mm-hmm. I've heard a lot recently, or in the last few years, that our prejudice in the West against arranged marriages is not entirely logical. That you know, someone arranges marriage for us when we're twelve. We marry that person, and we have no choice in the matter. Does that make it more detached? In other words, we'll accept that person because the culture and and um, you know thousands of years of, of this make it so that that's the rule. You're going to marry this person because this person has a dowry, the family's acceptable. We love that family. You're going to marry, him. and people revolt against that. No, 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 no. I'm going to marry the person I want to marry. To hell with that! And we think we're so superior because of that in the West. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're progressed, we're evolved, we're free, we're liberal. You know, and the fact of the matter is, it isn't that cut and dried, is it? Because then, when we marry, the thing that attracts us, that magnetizes us, I think His Holiness here is saying that attraction may be, if I can use this expression, deeply superficial.
1: Well, of course, in the arranged marriages, they also use um, astrology. So they have an astrologist who, uh, you know, who looks at the charts of both individuals. And, and that helps a lot because that's, that's a real science. So, and, and I'll agree with you on this um, because, you know, as you know, I spent so much time in India uh, over a long time and, and have developed really familial Relations, uh, relationships with families over there, and so as these families have grown up, and I've seen even in these quote-unquote modern times where many Indians are doing love marriages, they're marrying who they want. So um, things are changing, but these particular families have adhered to the you know to the culture, and um, and I've been privy to a, at least uh, you know half a dozen in the last several years. And they all have worked. I mean, listen, I'm not in the, you know, I don't live with them. So, you know, I'm sh- and I'm sure, you know, everybody fights and bickers and does that whole thing. But they seem to be very whole. I mean, they are, um, there is, I mean, I even asked them, you know, a couple of them, boy, how did this, oh, very, you know, th- this, this, this has worked out for them in a way that um, was, was, everything that it was intended to be in ancient times still relevant today um and so uh, just to go on a little bit bec- to finish off this whole thing really around relationship um so as says the, you should think the other person is a human being like me certainly i want happiness therefore she must want she or he must want happiness too As a sentient being, I have the right to happiness for the same reason she, too, has the right to happiness. This kind of sound reasoning gives rise to pure love and compassion. Then no matter how our view of that person changes, and this is, David, this is the key to Mm. the whole thing around uh, this particular um, uh, point that he's making, no matter how our view of that person changes and it is going to from good to bad to ugly she is basically the same sentient being thus since the main reason for showing loving kindness is always there our feelings toward the other are perfectly stable i mean really uh, this is such a great piece of advice beyond the transforming qualities of the commentaries he's making uh, not beyond, but, I mean, so specifically because we are so screwed up in the West in terms of relationships. We are so lost. I mean, and this is, what a great um, point to hang on here uh, of really relating w- whenever, uh, you know, and I'm I'm speaking to me right now, right? Um, I, I'm married, and I've been married for, uh, you know, quite a number of years now with, and, you know, w- we go through stuff all the time, and this is, this is an anecdote that I w- will remember. I mean, just like as much as I can remember um, to use the breath to cut, th- you know, and stop, you know, uh, negative motion, emotions and thoughts, this is a great thing, you know, in the midst of bickering or in the midst of a fight or in the midst of I can't do this anymore is, is to, you know— the other person is a human being like me I want happiness therefore she must want happiness too and we both have the right to happiness and that is you know that's the stability of, of I think it. so I it's think beautiful
2: it's subtle the because the test as to whether you're doing it is to whether you can in fact find that because sometimes marriages are wrong it's not like everybody who gets married marries the right person it is clearly not true sometimes you have to make that break. I'm not just talking about marriages. I'm talking about business relationships, friendships, connections, you know. Uh, Sometimes they're wrong. I mean, I've had several business connections uh, in my life that I thought, just like marriages, I thought at the beginning were just, oh my goodness, this is it. We're going to achieve great aims, going to make a lot of money and so on. And after a a period of time, finding out that the other person is not compatible, I'm not compatible with the other person or the other way around, and you have to make the break. I think what he's saying is that if the thing is real, um, it's worth, this meditation on love and and the meditation as to the the ultimate empathy which is to make sure that your partner is is happy and therefore um, persevering through times of stress and 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 div- divisiveness but on the other hand you have to also have that other thing which is discriminating against whether yeah that but is i quite, think uh, david
1: i don't think you can p- compare other relationships like a business relationship i hear what you're saying but there's no there is no um common denominator of love in a business relationship, okay? This is about, our point here is to get together, have, maybe have a good time, but it's about money. It's not about uh, It's not about creating an environment in which we can uh, share love together. So I think that that's a little bit different, although... It's more
2: intense, should... but it doesn't the same rule apply in a way. I mean, in other words, you know... Well, I'm not saying it applies to what he's saying. I'm saying that sometimes... You have to give You've got to break it up.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely agree that it's not, you know, uh, there are many, many instances where people and people in India in these arranged marriage marriages, which, uh, you know, um, are causing harm to each other. And I think at that level, uh, they and because of the culture, they can't get out of it. So that's the, you know, that's the uh, other side of the coin in which, uh, you know, it's not. Uh, right. I don't think it works. Um. How about this one? The antidote to anger is, to, is meditation on love, because anger is a very rough, coarse mind that needs to be softened with love. Another thing that I would have uh, a problem with in the in the heated moment, uh, you know, that uh, to suddenly be able to turn um, to uh, with loving kindness, I, I find that very difficult. Um, I hear what, he, what he's saying. Of course, we, when we enjoy the objects to which we are attached, we do experience a certain pleasure, but as Nagarjuna has said, it is like having an itch and scratching it. It gives us some pleasure, but we would be far better off if we did not have the itch in the first place. Similarly, when we get the things with which we are obsessed, we feel happy, but we'd be far better off w- if we were free from the attachment that causes us to become obsessed with things um, so I, but this antidote to anger uh, I have found um, and i don't even want to say things that are um i'm I'm a little far reaching because you know we've discussed. Um, someone said today, hey, these podcasts are like therapy. You start talking about yourself right it 's like going to a therapist you 're just sharing it in our case with you know twenty thousand people or whatever uh but uh we, you know we David and I have talked about anger and i 've talked about my own and I would say that um uh the vigilance, which is the big point that he's uh, his holiness is talking about here." Vigilance is the most important thing, which means I realize that I'm caught and I have to make some attempt at an anecdote. anecdote. Um, and, uh, you know, in my case, breath has is, is certainly been the most useful thing, I would say. And I can't say that meditation on love, certainly following it to, uh, you know, have loving kindness is really effective in completely dispelling this thing. So I think we've we've gotten pretty far into the vigilance thing. I think that's a that's a pretty good point, no?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me it's also memory, you know, remembering how messed up you get when you are angry. Because you know, uh, you, you fa- he says somewhere else your face turns, you know, gets all sort of distorted and the anger stays in your system for a, a, a while and you become irrational, and you become an ugly version of yourself, and you don't want to be that. So just remembering that, just having the ability to just stop for a second and go, oh, my goodness, the last time I got angry, it really, I got, I've actually had the experience of getting really angry about something and getting sick. Um, I know I've had that experience. I know, uh, you know, the immune system, and to get down to that, you know, I think your body takes a blow when you're angry. Um, And again, you know, we want to make it clear that we're not, angels here we're we're saying what we're saying is that there are some things that make us angry that indeed are anger making like um you know corruption and 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 um mismanagement of of funds and, and 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 mistreatment of of human beings we have to muster up a certain kind of indignation about it in order to act against it but he i think would agree that um that anger is a, maybe a, a an impelling thing, a stimulus, but it cannot continue through the through the action uh, of remedy. The remedy and anger are not compatible. Anger may be the stimulus; remedy must come from equanimity. And that's I've only learned that from being fortunate enough to be around people who are wiser than I am, and reading about it and being told about it multiple times. Um, meditating on love is good, obviously but it's not always what works for me. I mean it, it, what seems to work for me is just the memory of of the kind of disservice you do not only to the person you're ranting at but to yourself of course. We've talked about this a thousand times. Mm. I think we do it because we need to, right? Yeah,
1: especially you and I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's pointing at um here's something interesting um And this is from uh, a text by the great uh, Siddha Shantideva from the, I don't know, 10, 11, 12th century, something like that. Um, If for the sake of others I cause harm to myself, I shall acquire all that is magnificent. On the other hand, Nagarjuna says that one should not mortify the body. So in what way, this is a question to His Holiness, in what way... Does Shantideva mean one should harm oneself? His Holiness, this does not mean that you have to hit yourself on the head or something like that. Shantideva is saying that at times when strong self-cherishing thoughts arise, you have to argue very strongly with yourself and use forceful means to subdue them. In other words, you have to harm your self-cherishing mind. I love that. You have to distinguish clearly between the eye that is completely obsessed with its own welfare and the eye that is going to become enlightened. There is a big difference. And you have to see this verse of the from from those scriptures in the context of the verses that precede and follow it. There are many different ways the eye is discussed. The grasping at a true identity for the I, the self-cherishing I, the I that we join with in looking at things from the viewpoint of others, and so forth. You have to see the discussion of the self in these different contexts. So that starts to get very deep, into you know, and this, this but the the idea of that uh, we have to harm the self-cherishing mind. Okay. That is uh that's quite a concept here. I mean, that is something. Yeah. I mean, that we talk about self self-cherishing is my favorite uh Tibetan concept. Uh because we walk around day in day out completely involved in self-cherishing and um and we relate to that I as that's who we are and that is really um it's it's the fall down of human uh n- nature it is human nature and it is our fall down and and transforming transforming our eye to the enlightened eye is you know as uh, God knows that's what this is all about so um I love that little segment um th- another th- um um One other thing that, uh, I mean, you may have some other things, Dave, that you noticed uh, and were interested in. One thing that I particularly, uh, the question was around how to cultivate patience. And I think that that is something hugely important uh, for all of us, for me anyhow. There are many methods. Knowledge of and faith in the law of karma engenders patience. Okay? What a statement. You realize this suffering I'm experiencing is entirely my own fault, the result of actions I myself created in past, past incarnations. Since I can't escape it, I have to put up with it. However, if I want to avoid suffering in the future, I can zo- do so by cultivating virtues such as patience, getting irritated, or angry with this suffering, will only create negative karma, the cause for future misfortune. This is one way of practicing patience. Huh?
2: Yeah. How great I mean, is even that? You you know, even if you don't believe in reincarnation, which most people seem not to, uh, you go through so many incarnations in this incarnation that you can remember things you've done that have caused the situation you're in the immediate present. I mean, right. you know, what, you're, what you are now is due to the past. Uh, the future is unknown, but surely will be affected by what you are now. So uh, you can see that getting obsessed periodically about something will eventually become ingrained, and then you get angry. Or, or angry is not always the right word. It's more like frustration and discontent. You know, like discontent that this is my situation. You hear people say it all the time. I didn't make this happen, you know. Um, And, of course, it's very complex because you could say, well, what about, you know, if there's a war and you get called up and drafted and you have to go out and fight and kill people? Is that your fault that some idiot in, in Sarajevo shot some king and then, you know, 15 million people died because of it? Clearly, that's not your fault as such. So have to be careful here. It's a question of how you react to what you've been, you know, what the society has made you do, if you like. Because, I mean, during the Vietnam War, many people resisted, but far more people didn't. And the ones that went, you know, had to kill people or were killed. And you have to think about that too. You have to think about, well, what do I do? You know, um, It's very, very deep, this, because you have to, I guess, in my case, at any rate, I just try and go to the place of, you know, not being uh, punitive to the world, I guess. You know, because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, ultimately, you know, if someone's going to drop a nuclear weapon on us, it isn't, strictly speaking, my individual fault. But collectively, we made it happen. All right, well, now we're getting into areas that are way
1: beyond uh, your or my... Uh, collective uh, wisdom shall we say because when you start talking about karma past life karma Mm. it is beyond rational mind there is no way that people like you and me or anybody that is not fully omniscient and knows uh past lives present and future you know a completely realized being can have any understanding of that um but the But what he's trying to say here and what you've said, which I think is even um, is very clear, which is you can actually look back into your own life and see actions that you've taken that have caused, uh, you know, results that you are living with now. Some of it can be as simple as, you know, health issues. You know, you've smoked for X amount of years and now you're dealing with lung cancer, whatever, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But if you take that and you say. Okay, well, I do at least intellectually believe in karma, in reincarnation, karma, and reincarnation. Then you can take that the fact that uh, you know you know you have caused things in this life uh, to have results. Then it would make a sense that in your in past incarnations that uh, you have taken actions which you are now which result now in in effect and results. And that's what he's saying. This is you know this suffering uh to rail out against it is completely um you know it's it's really more self-cherishing really is what it is um you know what dave what number are we up to here by the way, i don't yeah. know i've jumped all over the place but i have to tell you i uh, i always get you know we always get to a certain point where we go all right pontificators okay pontificators <laughs> unite i got to hear so- i want something else right now okay i'm I'm getting, like, mentally, my whole brain is starting to fry, okay? And I want to do one thing. Can I do one
2: thing? Yeah, I was. I had a thing. Oh, please do a thing. It'll take one second. Okay. New York Giants won a game. Oh, for
1: God's sake, that is like uh, the, some kind of blessing mana from heavens. <laughs> uh, if, if it's 1 in 15, you know, of course, it won't be very fun um those giants but you know what i have to i'm from montreal you know that and when yeah. i was a kid growing up and in, 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 it was in high school leonard cohen was just like he was every it was between leonard cohen and bob dylan you know it i've said it before they saved my life and but leonard there was a way there was a lyricism to his poetry and a and a substantial earthy, uh, I could feel so deeply the stuff he was saying and the humor so wry. Mm. I just, uh, you know, uh, I have been a, a huge, huge fan of his and, and we actually, although he's older, he's 80, uh, we knew many people in common and, um, you know, Montreal, it's like a, you know small world cuz most people are french and less of the people are english and we were part of that thing um so um dave can i play just to commemorate his birthday which you say was yesterday i thought it was today
2: i think it was yesterday what okay, to what play?
1: i just want to play a song that i and it's it's really about the poetry because you know leonard at this stage i mean he smoked too long and you know he sounds you know awfully gravelly shall we say can I just play, I'm just going to play a song. It's called um, Going Home, okay? And, okay. And um, so for for Leonard out there, this is for you, Leonard.
0: I love to speak with Leonard. He's a sportsman and a shepherd. He's a lazy bastard living in a suit. But he does say what I tell him, even though it isn't welcome. He just doesn't have the freedom to refuse. He will speak these words of wisdom. Like a sage, a man of vision Though he knows He's really nothing But a brief elaboration Of a tube Going home without my sorrow Going home sometime tomorrow Going home to where it's Better than before Going home without my burden Going home Oh mm-hmm. a lazy bastard living in a suit
1: (laughs) i want to speak to leonard he's a sportsman and a what he's a lazy bastard in a suit that's so Mm. great
2: if any of you get the chance to see him live and I'm, as Roger knows, I'm a horribly critical person. Uh, I can honestly, I've seen him, I don't know, for five times maybe in my life. I can honestly say that I still think it's the greatest live music thing I've ever seen. Really? Because it's not just him anymore. It's three marvelous backup singers and a terrific band. And it, it, they're just marvelous. They just grab an audience as big as it can be or as small as it. it you're just so moved and affected by it, and it's not because he's 80 or because he's venerable. He's just great. He's funny, and his music, by the way, I mean, he's a marvelous musician by this stage as well.
1: So. Mm. And uh, go to Amazon and please purchase Leonard's new album. That was from an older uh, "Old Ideas." Was the name of that album? His new one is called "A uh, Popular." What did I say, Dave? Popular Problems, (laughs) Popular Problems. I mean, what a great uh, title. Um, And uh, mindrollingpodcast.com, please go there, bookmark us, donate, buy T-shirts. We've said it all, Dave. This is it. Another week gone by. I'm glad we we reviewed at least some more of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. By the way, I don't know if you can still buy tickets. He's going to be in New York at the
2: Beacon in early uh, November 3rd and 4th. I'm not sure you can. Oh, you know, synchronistically, the last time was 80 years old yesterday, and this podcast is podcast number 80. It is. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Okay,
1: that's amazing. I, that uh, that alone is amazing. When <laughs> really? we get to when we get to a hundred, we'll have a. A party. and soon coming, Mindpod Network, we're going to join Mindpod Network, Mind Rolling, Ram Das, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, and Jack Hornfield. So look for that coming soon at your theater. So to speak, Dave, <laughs> great to see you, and I'm you glad too. you're well. and uh, we shall uh, we will see you all next week. Keep yeah. keep the letters coming, and we love your support.
0: Yeah, yeah. Goodbye. Bye-bye.